you're catching this uh you've joined us for episode 23 crazy to think it's been 23 weeks now of the keep it simple podcast uh we're so glad that you made it a point to join us today uh this episode i have my very dear friend uh, alex aiken on the show alex um as you're fixing to find out um is an incredible incredible human being i came to know alex through danny Aiken, then Danny Brown, and um, uh, through a lot of deep community, years and years of connection. And uh, it was one of those moments. I met Alex and almost instantly um, just just knew. You know how you meet those people and, and you encounter them and you're like, these are my people. Well, that was, that was Alex. Um, mm-hmm. Alex has a call in his life to ministry. Uh, specifically in hospital chaplaincy. And so I'm sure we're going to get into that. We'll probably get into married life. We'll probably get into a lot on this episode. But uh, without further ado, Alex, welcome to the Keep It Simple podcast. Man, can't tell you how stoked I am to be with you, Ben. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, uh, just share a little bit about you. Like before we start in your story, you guys are in Nashville now. Yep. And uh, uh, so, where is it that you're worshiping? What is it that you're doing with your days? Uh, just kind of tell us a little bit about you. Yeah. So, um, Danny and I are almost four months married. Actually, we are four months married today. No um, kidding. Yep, October twentieth. Wow. Well, well. So that, that's funny how that worked out. But um, yeah. so we we are living comfortably and um, in our home that's up on a high hill that uh, that got uh, had some challenges when the snow rolled through and we had our ice and being <laughs> from Florida, I just never had to deal with these problems. But um, but man, we're, we're continuing to make memories and just settle down together. Um, as you kind of mentioned, I, I work as a hospital chaplain at, mm-hmm. um, at a Catholic hospital here in, in downtown Nashville. And um, so I've I've been working there and um, Danny and I, we are part of a church community called Ethos Church uh, mm-hmm. right in downtown Nashville. And so um, probably one of the best parts is um, our small group is a couple of um, we have five young couples that are all within a couple years of being married. And wow. so um, just spending time with friends and, you know, settling into married life and, and enjoying the work that the Lord has. Awesome, man. You know, you mentioned your wedding and four months ago. I mean, this is a big statement, but um, that was without question one of the most beautiful um, weddings uh, that I've ever been um, a part of or or at or witnessed that um, the two of you kept Christ at the center um, of that entire week weekend um just so so cool and rare um beautiful so you mentioned that you're from florida so you can start wherever so this is not a polished show we're open about that right so there's no editing there's no show notes there's no anything you can just kind of do what you want but start like wherever you choose i would love to hear 
Uh, so I know bits and pieces, right, from our time together and me just getting to know you and and um, asking a blue billion questions because uh, I think you're really cool. But so just kind of talk us through for for folks uh, through your story. Um, you know, were you raised in a Christian home? What was, what, what, where, how did your spirituality kind of, kind of start? Or what was the launch? Definitely. So I was born and grew up right outside of um, Orlando, Florida, in a town called Windermere. Oh, it's yeah. like the connection. Kind of pause for a second. Can you see me? Oh, yeah. Just keep on rocking. It'll be fine. All right, right on. <laughs> yeah, that's um, the cool thing about so, this. We're not polished. So, I mean, there's episodes <laughs> where it will drop out and go to a black screen. It's fine. Just keep on rocking. That's the authenticity mm. of it. I like it. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, man, I, I grew up in Windermere, Florida, right outside of Orlando. And mm-hmm. it, quite simply, I had a great childhood. Um. Both my mom and my dad both loved me and my older sister, Ashley very yeah. well. She's two years older than me and she's, she's one of my friends too. Yeah. Um, like my parents were both very supportive with us. So for example, my dad, um, we were a really big sports family growing up mm-hmm. and my dad was always one of our coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, he himself was a football player. He uh, played kicker for university of Alabama and then wow. transferred to university of central Florida. Yep. So, wow. um, and that's where he met my mom at UCF. Okay. And I think what was really cool is that it didn't matter if it was football, flag football, lacrosse, basketball, baseball, like you you name whatever we played, he was mm-hmm. always wanting to be one of our coaches. Um and then my mom, we went to pretty good public schools growing up and she was always involved whether it was like with PTA or substitute teaching, volunteering with stuff around campus. And I, and I think I've especially been appreciating that later um just with danny and i getting married recently and and how supportive they were um Mm -hmm. of danny and i just like thinking of all the little ways that um growing up i might not have paid as much attention to it but like my parents were like of course nobody's perfect and no family's perfect sure like my my overall impression when i think of the home i grew up in was like they were so loving and and supportive. Yeah. 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 And Um, just the the snippet of time that I got with them at your wedding, I mean, top, top shelf, you know, mm. the, the, the depth and the sincerity and the care. Um, yeah. You know, both, both in the interactions I had with them, the conversations I had with them, uh, at the rehearsal and the rehearsal dinner and then throughout the weekend, you know, um, yeah. it's no wonder like, so when the, when your family and Danny's family got together and then, so I'm hearing the Brown side of things and, and you all get your families together for the first time and the Browns come back and they're like, they're awesome. And I'm like, <laughs> all right, you know, yeah. So that, uh, all of that aligns well. So super yeah. solid home life parents that were very very involved and engaged and and yeah. um yeah and i what i think was um was really cool too is that we grew up in a pretty good neighborhood and had good family friends um some of my good friends from school and and that i uh played lacrosse or just played sports with mm-hmm. their parents became some of my parents best friends 
And and I know it might sound cheesy, but like that phrase, uh, it takes a village to raise a child. Yes. I, I really feel like the family friends that we had growing up, like it was kind of like our little village that, mm-hmm. that once again, I think more and more now when I look back on, on my life and growing up, it was so cool to just have people that it wasn't even anything out of the ordinary. It was just like good friends who did life together and they were so supportive of, of me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So, so growing up in there, where does your relationship with God enter the equation, right? So you raised super solid home, um, standout folks and parents, solid community mm-hmm. with other parents and kiddos, um where and when how what what were what was the equation like where did you meet jesus man so um with with all of the cool things and great things that that came with my childhood something that i really struggled with growing up was anxiety and panic attacks okay so when uh, i was like five going on six years old uh first day of kindergarten nothing out of the ordinary Mom took me to school and was was going to drop me off. And we were lined up outside of our teacher's classroom waiting for her to welcome us in. Miss Surin comes out and warmly invites us in and says hello. And my mom starts to say goodbye to me and I start to panic. And like separation anxiety is pretty normal for for little kids, but they eventually grow out of it. But for me... That was the beginning of some severe struggles with anxiety um, to where every year at the start of the school year, it would take me a few weeks to a month to get settled in. But the problem was, is that it became such a pattern for me that not only would I be getting anxious at the beginning of the year, but like halfway through the year or in the summertime, I'm already getting anxious about the Mm -hmm. upcoming year. Mm -hmm. And so anxiety was, was just something that plagued me. And, and then it led me to just being generally anxious about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Well, the funny thing is, is that um, I think this played a big role in my faith because when, like as a little kid growing up, I, I think I was always kind of, kind of sensitive to, to spiritual things. And I'll get into that in a second. But um, mm-hmm. when I was 12 years old was when I first heard a calling from the Lord. Um, and it was when my sixth grade geography teacher, Miss Eastberg, showed our class the movie The Ten Commandments, mm-hmm. which I don't know if, if you remember oh, yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. 1956 yes. Dalton Heston. Yes. Which, it, as you probably remember, it was like four hours long, old English, stiff acting, like not something a 12 year old kid would be interested in. Yes. Um, and let alone, it was also weird that is being shown going to public school in public school. Yeah. But for some mysterious reason, man, I was fascinated by it. And throughout the week of watching that movie, God really grabbed a hold of my heart and just gave me this sense of resolve that this is who I want to be. This is who I am. And I want to follow the Lord. And the thing is, is that even though I would, of course, like grow into my sense of calling and, and understanding what that would mean, I really never looked back after that point. It was, that was a pretty defining time for me in my faith. Hmm. And when I try to think back on what was it exactly about 
Moses and his story that like had called out to me. Um, I think it was that because I was someone who like had struggled so much with anxiety and just had these insecurities and these fears growing up mm-hmm. and the way that Heston, you'll remember he portrayed Moses was, it was like, he was this strong, wise person, but he was also very gentle and gracious. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like he was almost like a, a spiritual superhero to me that, um, that I looked up to. And it was like, I saw this, the things in him that I did not see myself, but I wanted to become, mm. which is also why I was saying earlier, like, I, I really do believe the deeper the pain, the deeper the passion, mm-hmm. um, the deeper my pain of anxiety was growing up, that gave me more of this desire of, of wanting to know the Lord and, and wanting to grow out of that by following mm-hmm. him. Um, but the funny, the funny thing was, is that, um, the I bought that DVD and I must have watched it like 25 times that year. My parents will tell you I was just like obsessed. Yeah. Um, probably not the all four hours, but in bits and pieces. The funny thing is though, is that the more that I watched or that I learned about Moses in the Bible and in, and in history, the more I learned that he was actually a lot more like me than I initially realized. Yes. Because he struggled with anxiety. Yeah. He struggled with insecurity. He struggled yeah. with self-doubt. Yeah. And yet what made Moses the great man of God that we know him to be wasn't anything that he was naturally. It's it's who God formed him to become mm-hmm. as he walked with him. Mm-hmm. And so then the, the funny thing that I, I sometimes will say is that I kind of had like a Jewish spiritual journey to Jesus. Yeah. And what I mean by that is that God really used the story of Moses to lead me to knowing Jesus in a real way. Um, because the difference is, is that I did grow up in a Christian household. Um, and my my mom uh, is a very strong follower of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Her mom, my Grammy, was a very strong follower of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And they probably had the most influence on my faith growing up. Um, but to be honest with you, I felt like at the earliest stages of my calling, mm-hmm. I almost I felt like I was more connecting with God through the story of Moses, but it would be as I would grow in my faith and was surrounded by just like such solid followers of Jesus that as I grew in my faith throughout my teenage years, Jesus became just more and more central and meaningful to me. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's it's not like I. I necessarily like worshiped Moses, but like that was what God used to first call me to follow him. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So um, as a person who struggled with panic attacks, anxiety disorder, um, much later in life, much like double time. So you were 12. I was, well, you were, uh, what'd you say, five or six when you started kindergarten. And so you're having yeah. 12. Um, you saw um, uh, the thing. But so like uh, the, um, uh, sorry. Uh, text just came through i didn't disable the texts on my freaking laptop so a text (laughs) from my phone just came up and my eyes are reading it and i'm running on like no sleep so um but so you see um help me charlton heston uh what's the name of the movie ten commandments Ten Commandments. So you see the Ten Commandments at 12. Um, so as middle age, I would say um, 2003, so 26, um, 
I began to experience a lot of those same things. Um, mm. Panic attacks, anxiety disorder, um, a, a lot of those things. And um, literally uh, relationships, authenticity, vulnerability, um, God through other believers, uh, through connection. Um, mm. So, so important uh, in that fight you know, with mental health and, and, um, and balance, you know, stability. So, um, I can't imagine like five years old, six years old working through, um, working through those things. So, um, so you said that you watched the 10 commandments in school, which in and of itself is a minor miracle. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, in public school for sure. So you're yeah. watching that, um, you begin to see uh, God work, and, and Moses really, so yes, he argued his limitations, yes, um, he continued to kind of push back. God met him in the middle, right, with Aaron and that, um, so there's something there, but really and truly, it was obedience. It was that stepping out in faith and being obedient, even into the unknown. Now, uh, this will probably mean more to you or resonate with you better than most people, but I've always thought that Moses kind of got a bad shake, right? So he gets him right to the Jordan and then has to stand on the hill and watch him go in, but he never gets to go in. That's always uh, been interesting to me. I'm not going to say bothered me, but that's always been a little bit interesting to me. So, um, so 12 years old, you watch this movie. There's this um, internal move um, of God, uh, I would believe, by the Holy Spirit that's happening in you, uh, attempting to discern a call or feel a call on your life at 12, awful young so then from there, what what's next? What steps? Where do you end up? Who does God bring into your life? Like, where does your story go? Yeah. So it, it may sound kind of strange, but actually might, might make sense of around the time when I felt called to follow the Lord at 12, I simultaneously also kind of had this sense of I was being called into ministry because I not only felt this kind of special attraction to the character of Moses. But Mm -hmm. I also felt this kind of attraction to his shepherding prophetic like role, um, Mm -hmm. where kind of as like a funny disclaimer, I was a self-proclaimed calling myself Moses with, with my friends. It was a running joke with, with my teammates in middle school, Um, Mm. call it delusions of grandeur or call it just faith. I don't know. But um. But in the or sense maybe that, just, like that was maybe just adolescence. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll go with that. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. Um, so the the I, I say that to show that, like you know, there was all already this sense of like kind of identi- identifying with this um, like ministerial calling and, and yeah. ministerial role, and that that continued to grow throughout middle school to where by the time I was going into high school. I could not honestly imagine myself doing anything else. Um, I tried to think of like being a businessman or being a dentist and praise God for people who have that calling. Um, I, I just had this deep sense of like, I, I, that's not me. 
Well, something I'm very thankful for um, is the pastor of our church. His name was Bill Barnes, and he was a really good mentor to me um, who mm-hmm. took me under his wing. And he was one of the first people to encourage me in my calling. Um, and I'm also very thankful for him because going into high school and, and thinking about eventually college, I was a good student and I liked school, but I was not excited about the thought of going to college because in my mind it was, all right, I'm going to go to Florida State University and I'm going to study business, which mm-hmm. for me, I was just like, oh, that's that doesn't sound exciting to me. But thankfully, Bill Barnes, he had told me about seminary school and told me that he's like, well, you know, you can go to college and, and you know, you can you can be trained to to become a minister. Um, and so then I started getting excited. And then fast forward from there um, throughout high school was playing lacrosse and looking at some schools to, to get recruited to hopefully play in college. And I ended up committing to a small Christian school in West Palm Beach, Florida, called okay. Palm Beach Atlantic University where um, not only I'd be able to play college lacrosse, but then I'd also be able to study ministry. Yeah. Yeah, so so your dad was a collegiate football player. Yep. You're a collegiate lacrosse player. Yep. So you leave home, you move to West Palm Beach, to a Christian college to play lacrosse. What yep. was that transition like? I mean that the uh, the um, allure of freedom. You're out on your own. Uh, who did God bring into your life? How was God proven to be faithful in that season of your life? Oh, couldn't have been a a better question to be honest with you. Um, because those six years in West Palm were the most formative years of my life, um, in my opinion. Um, As I shared, I already had a strong sense of calling Mm -hmm. and already had a walk with the Lord, but God would do so much refining and healing in my heart during that time. Mm -hmm. Um, It was like the definition of a pruning season for Mm -hmm. me. Um, And I I do have one story that I wanted to to share with you on this. Kind of a longer story, but it's one of the most important stories in my life. And because honestly, it saved my life. And so I'll try to shorten it, but want to make sure that's cool. Shorten it. Tell tell it. Okay. All right. So, um, so like I mentioned, a lot of healing during that time in West Palm. And a lot of that came out of my experiences with the lacrosse team. So, um, the spring of my freshman year was one of the hardest periods of my life. Um, struggled severely with a season of anxiety and depression. Um, it was probably the most intense season that I had since I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember waking up early in the morning some mornings and my body would be shaking uncontrollably. And yeah. I'd have sweat coming down my forearms, sweat coming down my forehead. My hands would feel like icicles. And it was just a very hard time for me. And a lot of that anxiety was coming from like how I felt about myself as a captain, um, my performance, my um, being concerned with like accolades and being an All-American, stuff like that, um, the approval of my coaches and my teammates. And so it was 
day after day, that was just a very challenging season for me. Well, I ended up making it through that year and, and actually played pretty well. Um, coaches were very affirming of me. So, of course, I felt relieved by that. Made it through that summer and I came down for the fall of my sophomore year and I thought that everything was fine. And I came down about a week before classes started and I put my head down on my pillow to take a nap and I instantly started to have a panic attack. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying out loud, you have got to be freaking kidding me. Mm-hmm. I am not about to go through this for an entire year again. Mm-hmm. And so I was feeling pretty miserable for the next few days. Um, I remember going to church that Sunday and calling my mom afterwards and just being like, I am not in a good place right now. And then for some reason, I felt led to go to church again in the evening, but this time at this church called Providencia, that's right down like walking distance from campus. Mm-hmm. And I went in there and kind of pretended like everything was fine, put on a smile, put on a brave face. But then from the beginning of the service until the end, I wept the entire time. Wow. I just had reached a breaking point. Yeah. And I don't remember a single thing that was said during that service. But the one thing I do remember was that there was this song that was played called Joy in Your Waters. And every time I hear that song, it brings me back to just how hard of a time that was for me. Yeah. Um, so that service ends and I kind of pick myself up and I'm thinking like, all right, I guess I'm going to figure out what I'm going to do next. Well, as I'm leaving, I hear this voice call out from behind me and he says, Hey, your name's Alex, right? And I turn around and this guy with a really big beard comes running out after me. And he introduces himself as Rob and he asks if I'd be willing to go get breakfast with him later that week. And I agreed to do so because I assumed that we just like get together, exchange pleasantries, and then I'd never see him again. Yeah. Um, I even thought that like I tried to get out of it at some point during that week, but nevertheless, we ended up meeting up. We went to first watch for breakfast that Friday. And it started out about what I expected. He asked me a little bit about my story and I tell him about how I grew up, my sense of calling into ministry, my struggles with anxiety. Like I was pretty open and honest with them for having just met. So I, I finished talking and he just sits there and he looks at me before he asks me a question that I will never forget. He said, If I were to ask you, who are you? How would you answer that question? Hmm. And it might seem like it's a simple question, but to be honest with you, I did not know how to answer it. Hmm. So I did what anybody else would have done. I just bounced around it for as long as I could. <laughs> and I, I said things like, I'm a good guy. I'm a leader. I'm a son of God, which all of those things are true. But they didn't really mean anything because I was only saying them since I thought they were the right answers to the question he was asking. And then finally, there was this voice inside me that in hindsight, I know is the Holy Spirit. And he just said, Alex, just give it up. Just be honest. And so I stopped talking and I said, you know what, man? I don't know. And he said, that's exactly why I wanted to talk to you today. Apparently, he had helped move me into my dorm my freshman year, but I didn't remember the guy. And he said, I've seen you in passing maybe once or twice since then, and you just seem absolutely miserable. 
And I know it's because you don't know who you are. And my heart is like beating out of my chest oh, at this point. Man, like, I can't imagine. Like I, he was, he was very firm with me and I never had someone confront me in that way. Yeah. But then during that conversation, I started to realize how much of my sense of identity was based on accolades and the approval of other people. Yeah, yeah. And the the reason why I cared so much about those things is because I had, I was trying to deal with this sense that I'm not enough. Mm-hmm. And as I would eventually learn, not necessarily in that visit, but there is never enough that I can do to make myself good enough because it, it really is a grace from God for me to receive and just rest in. Mm. And that conversation with Rob was the beginning of me starting to truly live into that. Like it honestly saved my life mm-hmm. because from there, I would start to connect with parts of my own story in a very real and authentic way. Amen. And Rob, in, in his very unconventional way, helped me to start to become more aware of the ways that there can be a difference between what I might think I believe about myself and believe about God versus what I actually believe. And mm-hmm. he was helping me to become more honest and aware with myself. And then the, becoming more aware of the difference between what I might believe versus what God actually says about who he is and who I am. Mm-hmm. And as I started to become more aware of these things, then I kid you not, Within a month after meeting Rob, I started to notice a difference within myself mm-hmm. where I started to experience this sense of like an inner rest and an inner strength within my heart mm-hmm. through Jesus that I had not had before. And that by no means is to say that everything was fixed within that sure. month, because this would be a journey I'd be on the rest of my time in West Palm, as, as you can yeah. imagine, really the yeah. rest of my life I'll be on. Even right now, God's doing healing. Um, but I do know that there was a change within me after, mm-hmm. shortly after meeting him. And it was because he reminded me of who I truly am, mm-hmm. of who I truly am in Christ. Mm-hmm. And then healing, that was really the beginning of healing from there. Yeah, but the, the call there is into authenticity. It's to square up. It's, it's to square up. So few people have the intestinal fortitude to square up to the real. Mm-hmm. Just yesterday, a friend of mine, we were in a van. We were driving from a distant state, and we were talking about um, authenticity. And it's unfortunate that in our culture, authenticity is so rare that when people encounter somebody who is transparent, they don't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Platitudes are so normal. Play in the game. And the if I say this, then you should say that. If I say that, then you should do this. If All of that mumbo jumbo is so subconscious that when we live from our center, from the deepest recesses of us, And when we are vulnerable and strong enough to allow that out, people don't know what to do with it. Mm. Um, A 
big piece of the simplify work is championing that. Yeah. To where we have more authentic community, to where we mm. have more relationships where people can sit down and be real. Mm. Um and and even if we only move the needle an eighth of an inch, if we can just move the needle. Yeah. Um what a gift that Rob A saw you, B was attentive enough and had the spirit of the gift of discernment to be able to see like as you were saying that, I'm thinking of a friend of mine here in the community where we live. The very first time that I met him, some people were saying some things about him. And in that moment, I was like, that's not him. What they're saying is not him. Like, what the way that I've been introduced to him is that's not him. Yeah. Um, and for him to... <laughs> For him to be able to take you to breakfast and then just put it out there. And for oh. you then to, to have the guts to step into that because most, how old were you? 20? 19? I would have been, I would have been 19 turning 20 that month. 20 years old, 19 years old. Most young men in that moment sitting across the table that, that somebody takes their finger and puts it on the button. Yeah. They're going to, I mean, every guard's going to go up. They're going to turn inward and they're going to figure out how to get out of that restaurant as quickly as possible. And then every wow. time in the future that they see a Rob, they're going to, you're in Walmart, you see Rob down the aisle and he doesn't see you. And you're like, oh my gosh, there's Rob. And then you go a different direction, you know, instead of leaning into those relationships and being like, you know what, this dude super unconventional mm. very not normal stretching and uncomfortable for sure yeah but people aren't attracted to right they're attracted to real it's that it's that it's that authenticity where we some of my most favorite people in my life are the ones that challenge me i can just be in their presence and i'm challenged mm. I can just watch how they live. They don't even have to say anything. I can just watch how they go about life, the way that they treat their wives, their children, their friends, the way that they just do life. And I'm like, oh, man, I got a lot of work to do, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so <laughs> so praise God for Rob. So Rob, Rob <laughs> kind of puts the finger on the button, it sounds like. And in that moment, instead of shying back from that, you lean in. Hmm. Um, and so from that, I guess you and Rob foster a relationship. So first off, I got to say, it is it is interesting here you recognize that I had leaned in because I think that is really important for us to recognize the moments in ourselves where we chose courage. Oh, um, yeah. Emotional vulnerability is is one of the things that at least I could speak for myself. I know for a lot of people we are most afraid of. Oh yeah. And that was a very emotionally vulnerable time for me. Mm -hmm. And I just want you to I really appreciate you 
kind of calling that forth from me of what you saw. Um, like that, that means a lot to me. So the, the funny thing about, um, well, the funny thing I think about God is that he knew exactly what he was doing. Um, and, yeah, and of yeah, course he yeah. does. Um, he had me in exactly the right place where he wanted me at that period of my life. I was very vulnerable, like I said, but he, he knew exactly what he was doing. Mm-hmm. And Rob was really the lightning rod from God, I, I believe, mm-hmm. that that really was the, the catalyst for this journey of healing. Mm-hmm. Um, Rob and I actually only, we only met um, a few times after that. Um, our paths didn't cross a ton, but every time that they did, it was it was always heart to heart, no no BS. It's mm-hmm. like we if we're gonna experience the real life of the Lord, if we're gonna experience a really meaningful life, we mm-hmm. are going to be as honest as we can be with each other. And he would mm-hmm. not settle for anything less. Mm-hmm. Um so the role of true healing comes from honesty is he he modeled that right up front for me. Um but God, God knew, like he had surrounded me with exactly the kind of people I needed at that point in my life. Um, you know, we, we, talking about authentic community, I, I shared with you, like growing up, I had a really good support system growing up that I'm very mm-hmm. thankful for. But the community that I had in West Palm was very important for me, especially as it related to my faith, mm-hmm. because my faith is so central to who I am to where I almost can't make sense of myself. I know I can't make sense of myself without, without Jesus. Yes. And growing up, I feel like that was respected by the people around me, but it wasn't really understood or shared Mm. um, by a lot of my friends and, and the people around me to where it wasn't until West Palm where I started to meet people who I feel like really got me, like really mm-hmm. saw me in the way that Rob saw me. Yes. Um, and, and that was so, so, say it again, so central for my healing to yeah. have people who really got me and really yeah. saw me. Um, a big part of that was um, at PDA, especially in the School of Ministry, like it, it wasn't just academics. I'm very thankful for that because as you know, seminary can have a lot of academics and it can and i'm mm-hmm. thankful for it but it can get overwhelming yeah. but i'm thankful for the some of the professors i had where they really knew me and and really encouraged me and then between some of my friends i met in seminary some friends from the lacrosse team some people i just met from being around campus i feel like they were solid friends that just were very real with me and we were real with each other and I felt loved and known by them. Amen. Um, man. It was it was such a gift. And then the other big part of that was my church community I was a part of with um First Prez, which ironically had planted Providencia where I had met Rob. Oh wow. They loved me so well there. Um some of the mentors in that church were like father figures to me. You met one of them, Suds. Yeah. Oh Suds. And, I just, I can't think of the right words to express what he's meant to me. And you've got a glimpse of it. I would love to hang out with that dude. Like, oh, one of a kind. 
yeah one of a kind and and he you know he was actually the one he i never played under him um at pva but as you you heard he was the one who started the lacrosse program and he had recruited me to go yeah. there um and so we had a relationship pretty early on um yeah he was he he has been like a like a, just like a father figure and a friend to me um the small group that i was a part of i met some of my best friends there uh four of them were actually in danny and i's wedding and um the best i think one of the best parts is i met danny in that small group when when she came and visited from nashville really so yeah man it was really cool and and i just think then that that was a very challenging season for me when i was in west palm and a, a mm -hmm. long season six years mm -hmm. but like I said, I, I still believe that God knew exactly what he was doing. Mm -hmm. He knew his hand was on me every step of the way. And one of the main ways I, I saw that was the, the authentic friendships and mentors mm -hmm. that he mm -hmm. had put in my life to walk with me during mm -hmm. that time. Mm -hmm. There's so much as you touch on there, and I, I'm being extremely intentional not to interrupt you because there's this is just straight up meat. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, I got some notes here. So the first thing I want to talk about is ever how many minutes ago I didn't make a note on it, but uh, emotional vulnerability. So what you said there was this idea of emotional vulnerability and um in my experience, especially coming from a rodeo background, as I'm sure you can imagine, probably rugby too, I, I would bet. Uh, or lacrosse, or lacrosse, yeah. lacrosse, I mean, sorry. But but still, yeah. I mean, you're talking about gladiator type. Um, uh, you got to have some guts to play lacrosse. Um, I mean, that's a, mm. it's a physical game, mm. um, sport. Um, but the, the, so in my lived experience coming out of rodeo, coming into ministry, um, hunting, fishing, outdoor life, backpacking, camping, just kind of manly, masculine stuff, whatever. One thing that I've seen is emotional vulnerability is probably at an all time low in men. Mm. I, I would argue that men have a more difficult time becoming vulnerable um than women and um part of that is that um ben never break that kind of it's just that kind of you know that and and i don't think that masculinity and emo emotional vulnerability have to be mutually exclusive amen so i know some men who are chiseled um, and, and, um, that are real men, mm. uh, but I can sit down with them and we can talk through what's going on in our guts. We can talk through mm. what's happening in our hearts. We can talk through what it is God's up to in our lives, what we think maybe God is doing in our lives. And, um, you know, so if you're if you're listening to this, whether in real time or um, who who knows when you may stumble upon this by whatever means necessary, um, I would argue that to be emotionally vulnerable as a man takes more strength and courage than to not be 
emotionally vulnerable as a man. It takes more guts to put yourself out there. And I'm not talking about sitting in a circle singing Kumbaya. I'm talking about having those accountability people where you can sit down and look across the table over coffee and ask a man, how is it with your soul? And they can give you a no BS answer. Yeah. This is what's going on. These are the temptations that I'm dealing with. These are the mental games that I'm dealing with. This is the stuff that's keeping me up at night. You know, th- this is what I feel like the Lord's leading me into. This, is, These are my concerns. Just really, um, not super profound, but, but, but guttural conversations. Um, I think that's missing. Hmm. Um, the next thing hmm. that I've got jotted down here is known and loved. So here's the thing. To be known and loved is a gift. Hmm. There are people who are known and not loved. There are people who are loved but not really known. Mm-hmm. But when we are known and loved, you said that the people there um, in those six years both knew you and loved you. And that's this innate sense. That's this deep sense of coming home. Yes. That's, that's mm-hmm. that place of arrival where you are both known and loved. And there... Yeah. And in my experience, at least, and those that I travel closest with, journey deepest with, to be known and loved is is the greatest gift. Amen. Um, Amen. That that to me, Ben, that's that's what we were created for. Mm-hmm. Like that, and I think when we experience that, which mm-hmm. can be rare, but like when we do, that's when we're experiencing the kingdom of God heaven mm-hmm. on earth. Mm-hmm. And it's two planes, right? So there's the vertical plane, like they talk about all the time and the horizontal plane. So to be known and loved by God or to, let me rephrase that, to allow ourselves to be known. Mm-hmm. So God's willingness, God's desire to both know us and love us is constant, mm-hmm. never changing. Our allowing ourselves to accept and receive and believe the fact that we are both known and loved by God um, is hard, but it's not, at least for me, it's not as hard as the horizontal plane. So on the vertical plane, you've got, you know, your relationship with God, my relationship with God. On the horizontal plane, we've got our relationships with others, with our brothers and sisters and, and those that, so you've got the vertical and the horizontal which goes back to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, love your neighbor. So there's the vertical and the horizontal. The It's enough to get over the hump or the hurdle of the vertical. And right about the time we get that kind of tended to, we come up for air and look around. It's like, oh my gosh, now I've got to do this on the horizontal plane, you know? And, mm-hmm. and um, a lot of my adult life, a lot of the past um, 
whatever, 15 years has been fostering that horizontal. Mm -hmm. Yes, the vertical is there. Yes, we're teaching and leading and whatever for the vertical. Um, and that's the not yet. But I believe we should focus on the not yet now. I believe we should focus every bit as much on the here and now. Yeah. Um, and that's in that horizontal piece. I know that's deep. I know it's a lot. This might be the first episode that I've actually kind of waded off in there with a person. But but I think <laughs> that our work yeah. is um, every bit on this side of the grave, on this side of eternity. I believe that our work is every bit as horizontal. Yeah. That's yeah. why I'm passionate about authenticity in relationships. Yes. Um, yeah. That being known and loved. Yes. I, man, what's so beautiful about that is in the, the story of, of the garden of Eden, which, you know, is usually shared at, at weddings and you had shared a little bit for ours of, the last line before the fall is that little sentence at the end of chapter two, where it says Adam and Eve were both naked and they felt no shame. None. And I yeah. think that idea of being naked with one another, not, not physically, of course, you know, with marriage, it's true, but the, the idea where we can be vulnerable with one another and not feel shame about mm -hmm. who we are when we really believe we are being known and loved and held in that space, like you said, by God, but also by one another, mm -hmm. I think that is living in paradise. That is living in the garden of Eden. It's just, mm -hmm. we're doing it here on earth. Mm -hmm. And, and the, the vertical part of that is, is I'm not going to say it's easy, but it's relatively easy. Yeah. The horizontal part of that has got to be a two-way street. Mm. And everybody's different. But what I have lived and experienced is when you extend the knowing and being loved. So when you give a person the, the space to allow themselves to be known and you love them. Yeah. That has to be a two-way street. It's got to be going and coming. And mm -hmm. I don't know what your journey's been like or what your lived experience has been, but more times than not, for me, the knowing and loving has been one directional. Because when that's turned back around, and then you come to this place where you're like, okay, so I'm going to let you know me. And, and then you kind of get into that. I don't mean this in a transactional way. Right. I just mean it in an authentic in an authentic kind of communal way. Folks yeah. want to be known and be loved, but more times than not, they want to know, but they don't necessarily want to love, or they want to love, but they don't necessarily want to know. Yeah. And and some of that is time. Some of that is rationing out. Like um, in my 30s, for sure, I had to learn how to ration out. Mm -hmm. um, you know what I'm saying? You don't go from you don't go from standing on the shore to the to the deepest of the deeps in a month or two or a year or two. Um, 
but but I think sometimes where the breakdown happens is that knowing and loving is not a two way street. It's not yeah. bi-directional. Yeah. Um, I think that happens with um with people groups as a whole, but I also think it happens in individual relationships. So mm. you talked you here you talked about refining and healing and so we've spent a good bit of so good this is gold. Um we've spent a good bit of time talking about the healing. What about the refining? Are those two things one and the same? Um are they separate? You know, Brennan Manning who's my favorite writes about broken-hearted lovers and wounded healers. So yeah. Manning argues that like from our brokenness, from the anxiety, which is something you and I share, um, and the panic and those type things kind of takes one to know one. And so then later in life, uh, maybe you're in a season of health that you encounter someone who may be experiencing some of those wounds. And so you have eyes to see them and then you don't feel sorry for them. You experience compassion, splagnesimi, which is this twisting of the gut. It's like this guttural ache, deep, deep down mm. compassion. Mm. And it's because you see a glimpse of you in them. It's this, it's mm. this, it's this wounded lover or a broken hearted mm. healer. It's like from those wounds, from those breaks, we are mm. able then to love others in a way, um, in a, com in, in, in a compassionate way, like the Bible talks about. Yeah. So we've talked about the healing that you've experienced and through by, you know, the, the avenues by which you experience that. What about the refining? Are those two things the same in your experience? Are, is refinement and healing, do they partner? Are they separate? Do they cross at times? Like, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah. I think I would say yes, 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 and yes to all of them. <laughs> More in the sense that, yeah, like for me, the healing was the refining for me. Um, I mean, that was the kind of okay. making me more into a man of integrity. That's okay. where my thoughts and my words and my heart and my actions and relationships with others were mm -hmm. all more in alignment. And of course, the challenge with that is that all of us have have cracks and, and ways within yeah. our character where we're not in alignment, but that's the pursuit of authenticity. It's yes. the, the movement towards greater integrity and wholeness. Mm -hmm. um, and so I found for me that my, the healing that was happening in my soul, which you might've heard, I picked up on a lot of my story was there was a lot of just themes of shame within my story. A lot of the wanting to be enough and wanting to be good enough for other mm -hmm. people and how that Oftentimes, it's that sense of shame that could lead that leads me to doing things that are out of alignment with with what God calls me to do. But yeah. it's funny that like when the the healing of those wounds of not feeling like I'm enough, but like really believing and resting in that I'm loved and I'm accepted by God. Mm -hmm. It's funny how my character also naturally follows suit, and so I view the two as they go together. And okay. um, 
you almost can't have one without the other. Yeah. Yeah, so the healing, kind of the original wound, I think. The refinement... Um, I don't know if we ever reach a place where we are healed. So I think like my friend Bill Parker, right? So Bill Parker's gone to glory now, but the um so we can learn a lot from old guys, right? And uh instead of just putting them in homes, we ought to be mining. I mean, they're gold mines. Yes. We should be we should be mining constantly. I mean, those there's a reason why the text says that gray in the beard you know is a sign of wisdom they've lived it they've read it they've experienced it they so one of my favorite guys a man named mr bill parker and and um mr bill i would say the healing part probably how I, I don't know about complete but was getting there probably in his 70s but then there was like this decade where there was this continual refining and he would come into my office he was a diabetic and his wife she's still living so i should probably be careful (laughs) somebody may be listening to this but i don't want to get him in trouble so mr bill was a diabetic right and so um and Miss Cynthia was a taskmaster. She'd just wear you out. And uh, so he would he would go into our secretary's office, the church secretary, and he would get a big uh, handful of jelly belly jelly beans. And then he would put them in his coffee so that he could and he'd come sit in my office and we'd talk but he had all that sugar in his coffee but if cynthia uh, stuck her head in the office to check on him he's just sitting there drinking black coffee but there's a big handful of jelly belly jelly beans in the bottom and uh so that that's mr bill but he so much um refining came Mm. out of him and and he as he shared ages and stages and seasons of his life and and right up to the end uh what god what he felt like god was doing in him what he felt like the spirit the new territories and the stretch like you and i were talking about before we came on camera um that refinement um i don't know i think the healing will run its course as far as the heart. Yeah. I don't know if the refinement, that sanctification, that marching on to perfection, um, it'd be cool to unpack that more, I think. Yeah. So two times, I've got it underlined three times, so I'd have to say in, so far in the episode, you've talked about import, the importance of small groups three times. Hmm. Okay, and so um, whether it be in your current context, whether it be um, in the small groups that you had uh, at the college time or the different local churches that you uh, were in and around down there, um, do you think um, that small groups offer an environment that's conducive to authentic relationships. 
they can be. Depends <laughs> on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't always work out that way, but I think that it. I think that it depends on the mentality of the people who are in the group, the willingness. Okay. Um, okay. My my experience is that, like with the small group that that I told you that had such a big impact on me when we were down in um, in West Palm. Mm-hmm. Part of why I think that created the environment that it did, and why it had the kind of impact on me, and I know it's had on other people, is the fact that people were so willing to be themselves. And I think that in small groups, you know, sometimes we may think that it's like, oh, people need to um, need to be more encouraged to pursue things that are meaningful or, or encouraged to talk more about deep things. Mm-hmm. I've actually found that a lot of people are starving for that and they want to have deep conversations. They want to talk about the Lord. They want to talk about what's meaningful in life. But it's just we feel this sense of hesitancy or shame of like, I don't want to be weird. Mm. And one of the things that I love about the group down in West Palm was that people were just not ashamed of like, this is something we really care about. And so we want to talk about these things. We want to talk about what's going on in our hearts. And and they weren't like hyper spiritualizing things or yeah. I, mean, I guess from a yeah, certain yeah. point of view, we we can see spirituality and everything but like they yeah. were also very just real down-to-earth people who were sharing themselves yeah. but just kind of accepted like this is something that matters and everyone was bought into it and i think that's that creates an authentic environment yeah yeah i agree with that so here in the context where we are now we're trying to last semester we launched small groups and um you know, anytime you introduce something new, you just got to kind of stay the course, you know, until things gain traction. Um, but I do believe that the environment is conducive to authenticity. Um, yeah. When I like it, what it, you had said, er, sorry, to cut you off, what you had said ahead. earlier of the kind of rationing out of, I think yeah. it also is very relational where like we have to know like where one another are. To where, yes. like, if we try to go too far or too much and that's not <laughs> where each other are, well, then there's no relationship happening. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. And then and then the stiff arm, you know, there's – and I sense that in myself. There's times where I sit down with people and they go too far too fast and I'm like, ugh. You yeah. know what I mean? And and I'm yeah. – I'm I try as hard as I can be to be a bi-directional person, but there's still – I think the rationing out, there's definitely something there. So you said through the small group, so through the relationships in the small groups at college, then you met Danny. So I don't want to run out of time because it's too it's too good not to offer that part of, of your story. So how then do you and Danny Brown cross paths? So Danny had been living in Nashville for a few years and our small group down in Florida was led by a husband and wife, Adam and Courtney. And Courtney used to live here in Nashville and her and Danny were good friends. Okay. And the three of them are all teachers and Danny had come down to visit for spring break. 
And, um, and I had shown up to small group a little bit later that day and there was an open seat next to her. And I sat down and small group went as normal. So like, didn't think much of it, but we like kind of chatted a little bit afterwards and it was great. But then when I left, I get a call from Adam and he's like, Hey, we're going to, to Miami tomorrow for the day. Would you want to join us? And I had like a longer week of work. I was coaching lacrosse at the time. And I was like, sure. I've never been to Miami. Little did I know that he was trying to play matchmaker. Oh. Um, and so we, we, but I wasn't familiar, like aware of this, but we had such a good time with the four of us who went to Miami and just the thing that I loved about Danny early on was and going back to authenticity. She is so comfortable in her own skin and oh, yeah. she is so Danny. Yeah. And she's also so fun with being who she is. Where like we were just like listening to music in the car and two thousands classics and similar sense of humor to where by the end of the day, um, I was I, I knew I was interested. Um, but then one of the the fun things about this, I think you might remember this story. She was only staying for a couple of days, and she was leaving on that Saturday, and um, I was hoping to get an opportunity where her and her, her and I could have some just like one-on-one time to, you know, kind of like tie up things and see where we're going. Um, But it was like a little short group gathering and just didn't get a chance. And so I ended up driving away and I was like kicking myself when about like 10 seconds into driving away, (laughs) I get a call from Adam who says, Hey man, you left your water bottle. That's it. And I I knew I didn't bring my water bottle, but I didn't question it. I was like, any reason to go back, I'm in. Turn and so around. I came back and Danny comes running out with what's not my water bottle, but it gave us time to <laughs> connect. Oh, that's And the rest cold. is history, as they say. Yeah, man. You know? Yeah, so uh, you all um, obviously um, hit it off. You begin to date, but that's long distance. What was that season yeah. like? I mean, you're in Florida. She's in Tennessee. Um, the devotion's there. The sincerity's there. The commitment's there. What was that season like for you? I'd be lying if I said that it was easy and smooth sailing. Um Yeah. There were some some times that were harder where it's like, man, we would love to just be in the same place already. But man, talk about God's faithfulness. So we, with kind of like how it had worked out for us, we um, ended up sharing a Southwest credit card during that time. Um, yes. We were able to go on flights to see each other about once every three weeks, which for being like in different states, like that's a tremendous gift that we yes. had. Um, yes. we got to meet each other's families, um, within, within like the first several months and like, again, being long distance there in Missouri and Florida. So that was another challenge for us. But like the fact mm-hmm. that that opened up and we got to meet each other's families, which is mm-hmm. so awesome. Um, but man, I will say that the, we learned a lot about like the importance of just like communicating and like loving each other for who we really are because Mm -hmm. we didn't have a lot of like the we're just physically near each other um Mm -hmm. where that was kind of cool to see like we 
we love each other because we actually love each other when communication's all you have. Um, and so that that really carried us through, man. And then also another thing was gratitude, because if you're only spending a couple of days together at a time for a few weeks, a lot of what kept us going is just reflecting on how special, no matter how many times we say it over and over, it was always special for us to remember like the little moments together. You don't take anything for granted. Definitely. When you got two days together every three weeks, every moment of those two days, you don't take for granted. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's sweet. Yep. So you make it through that. Um, talk about the engagement. Tell the Tell the engagement story. That's a good one. So we went to my best man's wedding on um this is like mid-april um which i don't know if you remember meeting him but he was the, the tall guy alexander yeah yeah oh yeah he's, yeah my best friend best friend from childhood um and so we went to him and his wife sarah's wedding together and um the next day we were back in orlando and my parents were out doing their own thing and danny and i had a pretty normal day a very us day like we just relax like uh, read some, had like a devotional time in the morning and then watched a movie, made some food, like nothing out of the ordinary. Mm -hmm. And then we went, went on the boat for a little cruise, took her out and then we came back. And then I said, Hey, would love if we could grab some, some sandwiches and I want to take you um, to a special place for us to eat. And um, wasn't really giving anything away, but then we went to the dock of our old neighborhood, which is right on the lake. And, um, we get out of the golf cart and Danny walks ahead of me and I'm like trying to put the, the ring in my pocket. And my mom had warned me, do not lose this ring in the water. And so I tried to like put my finger in it. Um, but I, I, we ended up going out to the, to the little gazebo and um, we were about to eat. And I had said like, before we, we eat. And then I brought up, kind of like said my uh, proposal and got down yes. to and asked her. Yes. So sweet. So um, what was it like coming to Missouri? You were kind of thrust headlong. Did you come? I know it wasn't cousin camp, but did you come like, weren't you here the first time when all of the like extended worths and the cousins and I mean, you were thrust. Was it Thanksgiving or was it was it holidays? What was it when you came here the first time? Was it Thanksgiving? It was a little before that. We I first met them, um, Danny's family, the beginning of August. Um, okay. And a lot of the family came over. Um, yes. So I'm getting two things mixed up then. So the first yeah. time I met you, you all rode the four-wheeler here to the house. And, oh, yeah. And um, having known Danny and Sarah since they were just little, little, you know, I'm thinking like, this has got to be a pretty special guy, you know, <clears throat> kind of like the, and you all roll up and we start visiting. And I'm like, this dude's different. Mm -hmm. I mean, almost immediate. And, um, mm -hmm. the highest compliment I can pay you is you didn't have to, you don't, you don't have to try. Mm -hmm. Like you, you're never having to try ever. 
Um, and I talked to Kurt about that. Even after you all left, I'm like, you know what? That dude doesn't try. He doesn't try to fit in. He doesn't try to say the right thing. He doesn't try to be any kind of way like he is completely comfortable in his own skin. Like, like totally and completely comfortable in who he is and doesn't try to be something he's not. Mm. And that is so, so rare. Um, mm. And as I was talking to Kurt, he was like, no, you're exactly right. I mean, he just walked in, was totally himself. And so that um, you left out of there, you left out of here. I came in and told Stace, I was like, chances are they're going to end up married. You know, that, that dude, that, uh, <laughs> that, uh, so what's married life been like? So you get married, you go on your honeymoon, got to see like posts and stuff from the honeymoon, which looked amazing. Come back, settle into like normal life. Is it buffering? Can you, did you hear that or did it yeah. buffer? Yeah. I, I missed so, actually that first part. No, that's all right. So, so I saw posts and stuff from from your um, honeymoon. So you get married, go on your honeymoon, come back, settle in, and kind of normal life then begins to take place. What's married life been like? What's that? Talk us through that a little bit. Yeah, I love being married. Kind of the, the short <laughs> answer. Amen. <laughs> ah, <laughs> right. And I. You know, I, I really am in, in awe of it. And I know it might be easy to say that we're only four months married, but like I, yeah. I really do love going back to what we were talking about with the being known and, and being loved. Mm -hmm. I have never felt more known and more loved by a person than I have with Danny. And Amen. and so like just the simplicity of being able to go to sleep in the same bed, live in the same home, have meals mm -hmm. together. It's like we're, we really are just doing life together. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I think that's, that's what married life has been like for us. It's funny. We, you know, especially being in the months of January and February, like there's not a whole lot we can do outside um, mm -hmm. or like traveling and stuff. So it's really, is like we're doing normal life, but it, it's just so much better together. Yeah. Yeah, so um, schooling-wise, I mean, you've been through lots and lots of schooling, and so now for the application, you're actually boots on the ground in the hospitals, uh, kind of working your way through. Uh, what's that been like? How has that stretched you? Yeah. Yeah, so with being in um, a, a residency role as a chaplain in the hospital, I also have the educational side and it is not the normal kind of education, like opening up books. It's very much about, you know, vulnerability, emotional vulnerability, um, self-awareness, mm -hmm. um, better connecting with parts of my own story and, and how that's just not really, um, natural for a lot of us to do. Um, <laughs> But this is kind of the big part of the the refining piece of because I do believe at this point in my life, God's more concerned with what he's doing in me than what he's doing through me. Hey, and man, I man. think that what's happening with this like chaplaincy, I love that I get to serve patients and families and staff. And it is very meaningful. Find, I find a lot of purpose with 
pastoral care. But dude, with like what God's doing in my life, I, I think he's continuing to do the things that I shared in my story of mm -hmm. just the healing and the refining of um, becoming more of an honest and authentic person. And then, and then like I found what you were saying earlier of, I love that there's such a diversity and patience that I get mm -hmm. to serve and families with different stories where part of it is like, I'm learning from them just as much as, you know, if there's any kind of spiritual care, I get to, to help be there for, you know, it's, it's a two way yeah. street. Yeah. That what God's doing in me versus what God's doing through me is solid. Hmm. Yeah. I think that, um, but it's not, it's, it is static that, um, there's seasons where it's what God's doing through us and there's seasons where it's what God's doing in us and the in us then brings about the through us that brings about the in mm -hmm. us that brings about the through us. It's like the cycle, you know, there's so much of a relationship with the Lord that's cyclical. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you could tie that into Ecclesiastes one, but I mean, it's all, there's this cycle where, um, I've never thought about that. I'd have to really, I like that. I need to make a note actually in us and through us, if God's working in us, through us, in us, through mm -hmm. us. So Alex, uh, you've been so generous with your time. You and I could stay, we could visit, ma'am. Um, I'm not sure how many people would stay hooked uh, in the places we would go, but it would be good to me. Um, I will let you go. Thank you so much for your time um, and generosity. I was sitting here thinking, like, as you're talking, there's a couple of guys that I would love to almost have, like, a three- or four-way call and have guys on mm -hmm. that are Michael Meeks is one, you and Josiah Key. That would be an incredible uh, episode and, and getting folks together. But anyhow, mm -hmm. uh, so I end every episode. You had to remind me. You've uh, Multiple people always forget it. Uh, the name of this podcast mm -hmm. is the Keep It Simple Podcast. Uh, so, Alex Aiken, how do you keep things simple? Yeah. Because I think my mind would first want to go to, like, what are the practices and habits that I or Danny and I are doing to try mm -hmm. to keep life simple? Mm -hmm. But to be honest with you, man, I think what hits me at a deeper level is remembering that simplicity goes hand in hand with honesty that my life is most simple when I am just being who I honestly am mm -hmm. and being who I honestly am right now in this moment with whatever I have to offer and trusting that that's enough. Um, because I, I can just get so wrapped up, man, in the games of trying to be what other people expect of me, mm -hmm. impressed to perform, try to be good enough and to get the approval of other people. And I, it just can be so exhausting to play those mental, mental games where it just makes life complicated. Um, but I have really found that kind of like what Jesus says, the truth will set you free. I think part of what that means for me is when I really am living in truth, when I'm living in that honesty of who I am before God and before other people, 
mm-hmm. my life just becomes so much more simple. And, and, you know, and I think part of that is recognizing that that's a hard thing for me to do and I don't always do it well, mm-hmm. but even being honest with that, um, I think just the more that I'm practicing it, like you said, tilting the needle just a little bit, um, my life is becoming more simple as I, as I do that. Amen. It's so easy. It's hard. <laughs> it's so easy. It's hard. It's, it's, it's very difficult to believe that we are the beloved. Yeah. And it's in that realization that we are the beloved that we begin to live out of our authentic selves. And then there's freedom and simplicity. It's just like dominoes, you know, man. So awesome. Alex, thank you. Thanks so much. Uh, We're going to have to have you back on. There's there's a short list here in my notepad. We, we're going to have to get a couple of guys on, and um, I have no idea what that looks like. I have no idea what that episode looks like, but um, it would be, I think it would be honoring, um, and I mm-hmm. think it would be a gift. So thank you so much. Mm-hmm. I know you're busy. I know y'all got a lot going. Thank you for carving out time. Mm-hmm. Um, I appreciate you, brother, and I love you. Man, I I can't thank you enough for having me on and yeah. and just uh, thanks for being a good friend and also somebody that I, I want to be like when when I grow up. Just thanks for thank you and I love you, brother. Yeah, hey man, I appreciate that. Thank you. Have a good night.